Welcome to the Story in Your Head podcast, episode 11, Caring for Others. So today we're going to talk about caring for others, and it's actually the second step in the Macklin method, right? The first step being the stand, and the second one is care and assess what help might matter. Care is a it's a tough word. I mean, it can mean a lot of things, but what does it mean to care for somebody or care, especially in the Macklin method? Well, for for me to, to hold like to care for somebody else, I, I first start with like what do what are their concerns, right? You could look at like a family or career or job or you know belonging to a community. There are a lot of things that they that they, they care about and they're going to take an act for, including one of the more important ones is their body, right? their education, their, their work, all those things are things that they can care about. When I say I'm going to care for them, right? Like I can't do it in a way that damages me, right? So like, that would be a hero or a martyr. So what I'm looking at is what do they care about? That would be similar to what I care about. Like I care about my family. I care about my body. I care about my work and my career. But what do they really care about? I mean, not the stuff that's like on TV, not the stuff that is in movies, but the things that they really matter to them, that they will act for no matter what. And then when you say you're going to care for those, you have to be able to listen for what, how their, what their interpretation is or how they're going to care for those concerns. Let me give this a try, just trying to think of, a, of an example for myself and what word really triggers me what they will act for, right? That action, not just caring. So I could think about my neighbor across the street. She could care about the color of her house. It's not really all that critical. But as I continue to question what she cares about is being alone. She had two children, both through different things are no longer here. Both of them have had accidents or died and her husband has Parkinson's. And so, and she's probably in her late 70s, early 80s. That's what she cares about. And those are the discussions we've had. So I, I see the difference there when thinking about that, right? It's not the color of your house or car. It's about what's really inside. Thanks, Michelle. What shows up for you when you know that these are the fundamental things they really care about, yet they're talking about the color of their house? talking about whether somebody has a tree trimmed or they're talking about like when they're supposed to come pick up trash compared to when they actually came to pick up trash. What shows up for you in that inside that conversation? Well, first I could say, it sounds like you've lived in an environment with a homeowners <laughs> association because <laughs> I've never experienced those. Yeah, that is. And, and this is a, a neighbor I've actually known for a little while, but a lot of questioning into it. And I think what really helped to for her to feel comfortable to have the conversation is I was a caregiver for my mom, right, for many years. And she kind of said one day how lucky my mom was to have somebody take care of her. And she wouldn't have anybody there to take care of her because her family was gone. And it's like, wow, what a, a vulnerable moment. I was honored that she, she could say that, right? And then we could have the conversation. 
but it's really questioning in, observing what she cares about. You know, a lot of times we'll help her with her hurricane shutters when she can't get them closed because, again, she's by herself, but her husband can't do it. So we'll go over and we'll close them for her when we need to and make sure that she's okay if anything's going to happen. And it, it built up trust over time for her to start to feel comfortable to have those deeper conversations. Thank but you. it wasn't overnight. Yeah. What I notice for myself when I'm going into conversations, because it can occur to me that they really do care about the color of their house or the, the, the bushes being trimmed or things that in some ways you go, really? What? 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 And what I find over and over is talking about what you really care about, aging, children, parents, financial independence, being able to take care of your body, marriage, right? Those things, like people don't want to, they don't like to talk about those. And the reason they don't like to talk about them is because they're scared people like, like they're not good enough. Like they're not strong enough. They're not smart enough. They're don't have a good enough marriage, a good enough body, all that story. And so they can get really, I take that story about the color of the house or the neighborhood or whatever it is and turn that into a story that's something to talk about that can become a shield to keep from getting to those things that really matter. Because those things that really matter are scary. Those things that really matter, sometimes there's not much you can do about them. And they get really scary. But those are where the powerful conversations can be had to know that they're not alone inside those stories that we're all aging no matter how young and perfect where bodies may occur we are all aging we are all trying to to have a partnership with somebody in our life that we can not be alone and those things are scary we use those other stories around there so when i first started trying to build my capacity to connect with other people. I kept thinking, well, maybe these people, they just don't care about things that I care about. They just, they just they're like, there's something wrong with me because I care about this and they're not caring about it. So clearly something wrong with me, right? Cause it's pretty common that they don't care about it. As I began to build a skill to connect, I began to notice that when I started to talk about the things that I was scared about, they started to get in the conversation with me. The same people who I thought all they cared about was how their house looked or their car was clean or what car they drove or all that. We started talking about aging and, and having enough money to, to be able to live and you can't work anymore. All of a sudden they started getting those conversations with me. And then my stand became to really care for them about what matters to them is being able to know what those concerns are that they may not want to talk about, but they really do want to talk about yeah thanks ron i would say that's that's great you know the initial conversation she really does care about what her house looks like in her lawn because she's always complaining the person isn't there but you're right when we started talking about my mom and somebody caring for an elder parent what that looks like the conversation started to shift but it, it probably took three four months right to get to there and and have that shift and now while we still can talk about you know, whether somebody's mowing the lawn right, those conversations will drift to, what do I do? 
I don't have any solutions for her or answers, but I can sit with her as she starts to work through them, right? And I can ask questions to help her think through what does she do? Because there's options, but they're all probably going to be with her alone, at least not with family. So I think the piece that for me is different is what I act from. Right. So before, yeah, it was this woman across the street that loved to complain about the landscaper. Now it's a woman across the street with some very significant fears of being alone. And we can have that conversation, right? Which is a much deeper, more meaningful conversation for her because sometimes she just wants to talk and have somebody listen. And that's all she's looking for that day. I know that's what I want, right? As to have somebody to talk to. Somebody that I can share my fears with, celebrate my, my accomplishments with, that I can just be authentically me and not have to worry about dressing up. And to be that for somebody else opens up a new space for them and it opens up a new space for me. And one of the areas that I look for is people will start entering into a relationship with somebody else based on they're not mowing their yard or they're not keeping their house painted or their kids acted up or something else that perturbs both partners, both parties in this, in this conversation to bring out their shield about why it is or isn't the way it is. And they never get a chance to get to know the other person, what their fears are, what they care about, how they're trying to take care of their body, how they're trying to take care of their retirement, how they're trying to take care of their aging and being able to contribute to the world. And when we, we don't, when we, two people don't have that, they just, just the, the visual for me is two people with shields banging their shields against each other, making an enormous amount of noise. And inside their scared self is what's controlling all of that banging of the shields versus putting your shield down and saying, yeah, I'm scared to death of this. This, this bothers me. I, I, I lose sleep at night because of this. And so there's never a place for them to connect. Yeah, the, the other thing I noticed with her prior to our conversation, when we used to go over, you know, every so often, we live in South Florida, so hurricanes do happen, and we have to close our shutters up. And there's a couple of neighbors that we know that are older and have like even older shutters. You know, whenever you see somebody out with DW40 and a hammer, you know that they have shutters that are a little bit more challenging than others to close, and she's one of those. And so we close up ours, we close up our two neighbors, and we one over there and said, okay, we'll close up yours too. And she was like really uncomfortable with accepting the help, mm -hmm. right? Because she, and this is my story, and we talked to her, like the fear of not being sufficient. I can take care of my house, my husband, all the things that are there. And what I noticed is after we started having the conversations on what's really concerning to her, helping her with her shutters. When my mom passed away, there were some things that we thought her husband could use that we had that, you know, for my mom, some things for the bathroom and other stuff that we brought over there for her to use. She started accepting that help, which I think I speculate just from the past was something she's not used to. Right. And so now my daughter goes over there and we're trying to figure out what shutters to close and whether we should close the shutter with the bird nest on top of it because nobody wanted to disturb the birds. And, and so it's a different conversation, right? It's fun. It's lighthearted. And it's about joining together to work through things rather than 
the fear and the shield. What, what I noticed, what I noticed from like my habits, my traditions from growing up, you know, Midwestern United States of America, Christian, you know, all this background, right? And what I noticed was I had a real challenge to accept help. I think it triggered me to say I was insufficient if I had to accept help. Like I was supposed to do this all on my own. And for me to say I needed help, it was like a an admitting that I was not enough. And so when people, I mean, it was like a habit when I grew up. It was like, can I help you with that? No, I got it, man. We're cool. It's got it. And to shift that story to, if I always decline help, one, my life is harder. And two, nobody's ever going to accept help from me. And I remember the feeling as I started to shift my stories from, like, no, I got it, you're good, to even though I could have done it on my own, to accepting help from others opening up that world and my body was like on like the nervous system was just perturbed like everything about it was just just all crazy because i was i was like admitting that to the world but i really wasn't it was just in my head that that was that story right the other person didn't think i was like i couldn't make it work in the world they just wanted to help and so when i realized that i was able to accept help more often and what I noticed was I actually had a, a complete bias against being obligated to somebody. Because if somebody helped me, then I, oh, then I'm going to have to help them in return. And I could also find myself going like, well, then I need to help you right now. Like, don't, don't go anywhere. Let me, let, me, let me help you right now so that I don't have the obligation. Versus the space of, thank you, that's really great. If you need something, let me know. And I'll be looking for a space to help you. But be able to sit inside that obligation. and, and I. I can still vividly remember like the first 15, 20 times as they walked away, I was going like, wow, I just don't like this. And I, and I, like, I feel like I need to go get it done. What that story is about is the story in my head, which had nothing to do with what the story in their head was. And they actually felt good because they were able to contribute. They got to feel part of my life and my world. And the next time I saw them doing something, I'd walk up and say, can I help? They let me help. And from there, that real contribution from really caring opened up a space to connect a completely different level. Yeah, so I want to acknowledge you for noticing and being able to accept help. Because I, what I see here, again, in a, in a 55 and older community, people in a space where they no longer can give help back right? Because they used to be able to do things. Oh, I'll go climb that ladder for you, or I'll go do whatever. And to surrender to not being able to do what they want, what they thought, right? Of, of not only not doing it themselves, but now their offer of help to the other person is smaller. And what, I, what I've also noticed is to give people space to do that. And so what I mean by that is my, my mom, right, had Alzheimer's and a lot of things, and she never wanted to be a burden. So it was really hard for her because she had a lot of, she just couldn't do a lot. So we gave her something to do. So we let her fold the laundry. You know, it'd be backwards, inside out, this and that, all sorts of things. But it, it gave her a space to contribute. And that's what I find in some of these communities, you have to give them a little space sometimes to contribute. 
because they no longer can't do what they used to do, right? They're not going to be helping you to build something or do something. And that makes a difference for them. So that's also caring in another space and acting from that. That's great. Uh, your, your story triggered me to remember one of the greatest contributions that I would say, I say old, but people my age now and older, right? Because uh, I'm in that group. For the first 30, 40 years of my life, I used to love to sit around and listen to their stories. In many ways, I let them contribute to me. They couldn't, they, they couldn't come over and paint my house, so they couldn't help. None of the stuff that we would normally do as a team, they couldn't do anymore. They'd stand there. I can, I can remember Uncle June, we would be doing something, and he'd just be standing there because he can't do anything else, right? But yet he would be there, big smile on his face, telling stories, contributing. That's cool. Yeah, and I'm sure you might have heard some of those stories more than once. <laughs> and each time is just as exciting, isn't it? Uh, yes, I've got to the point where I've had to tell myself, oh, yeah, here comes that story again. And this one's going to be better than the last time. But I, I always want to create space for people to contribute. It doesn't matter that I've heard it before. And I'm also triggered with what are my stand, what will my stand be as I'm 75? And I can't help out physically. What's my stand for myself? And how will I be able to contribute and accept others' con contribution to me? Yeah, so that's great on the aging. I, I have another story, maybe how does that apply to work, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I at one point had a, a team that we were, was, you know, one of those things, the crunch time to get a project out the door. And literally the team was working almost 24 hours a day. I'm not, I mean, I'm way past being an exceptional coder in life to develop things, to run, infra, you know, like do all the stuff with infrastructure and set up all these things. And so my job in the mornings, I'd make sure they had coffee. And if somebody worked, we had sometimes teams that would go to 4 a.m. and then at 4 a.m. some back offs would kick in. So we had about an hour before we would continue. And so I took them to breakfast. Right. There's, there's always a 24 hour diner someplace yeah, yeah. that you can go to and have French toast or whatever the hell they wanted. But I had to search for what I could do to contribute, right? For things that matter to them. And food and caffeine is always one that's a good one to have in your, in your pocket. Yep. What, what I notice in your story is the orientation to caring for them, which means to, to notice what their concerns are, right? To, allow them to contribute to you, but to also be caring, like what are their concerns? And if you're working through the middle of the night and you can't do anything, what a great space is to go get recaffeinated and recaloried, right? So you're now energy up again and come back in. And I would speculate the contrib contribution that you were able to give them was like, oh, good for yourself. And they built trust with you because you were there and you're part of it, even though you weren't doing what they were doing. You were still a part of the team. Oh, absolutely. You know, I had to, to think through it. And we had fun at breakfast, right? Everybody could relax and laugh about whatever happened in the last couple of hours because it was always something. And so that when they went back to finish, once the backups were done to start again, that they were refreshed, right? And not so tired. What I'm, what I'm gathering from our conversation is really caring can be about caring for someone who has less capacity than you. It can be caring about somebody who has more capacity than you, but it's about how to notice what it is they care about, how to 
hold what, what would help them in that domain to live a good life and being able to accept help back in return so that there's not some sense of obligation or guilt or shame because I can't help the other person, but just to be there with a the person and the connection, the relationship would be very powerful. So it's not about position. It's about paying attention and really caring. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Excellent summary. What I've learned is not to only care about what the other person cares about, but to act from it. Like, how are my actions influenced by what they care about? That's great. Thanks, Michelle. This concludes our podcast on caring for others. This is Ron Macklin. And this is Michelle Masago. We'll see you soon. Thank you all for listening today. Please take a moment to subscribe to the story in your head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thank you all, and we'll see you next time. Bye.